awesome. Uh, if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to move to turn to Exodus chapter 12. Again, we're we're just doing th- we're doing things just a little bit different because we are going to be focused today on the Passover, the Passover, and so um, because of the parallels to the Passover and to Lord's Supper, we're also going to be taking Lord's Supper today. And uh, just simply want to be able to share that together with you. You could flip that for me. Go ahead. There you go. Thanks so much. A few years ago, during the Veterans Day breakfast that our school hosts every year, I told a story about my wife's grandfather who served in the Army during World War II. The following year, as we were making preparations for the next Veterans Day breakfast, I received a call from a man who had attended... Uh, the year before, and he said, hey, pastor, would you please tell that story about your wife's grandfather again? It really surprised me that someone who remembered a story wanted to hear it again, and I, I said that to him. I'm like, you want me to tell you the same story that you've already heard? And his words were, I could listen to that every year. That's one of the most moving and impactful stories I've ever heard. What I had shared was a few years earlier, my wife's grandfather, who would have been in his 80s at that time, had a roadside stand outside of his home in northern Wisconsin, and he was selling vegetables and fruit. A man pulled over, and he um, wanted to buy some potatoes, but Grandpa Bieber was selling red potatoes and white potatoes, but he had them at separate prices, and the man said, I want the red potatoes. But I want them for the price of the white potatoes. They argued a little bit, and finally Grandpa Bieber just looked at him and said, Man, you are so cheap. What are you, a Jew? To which the man began to roll up his sleeve. And he showed him numbers on his forearm, which showed that he truly was a Jew, that had spent time in a German concentration camp. Now, you might think that might have phased Grandpa Bieber, but you don't know Grandpa Bieber. That didn't phase him one bit. (laughs) He just simply said, uh, what camp were you in? And the man said, Buchenwald. Remember the day that camp was liberated? The man said, I do. He said, do you remember a tank rolling over a fence and turning its turrets at the three guardhouses, taking out each of those guard homes, guard houses at Buchenwald? He said, I do. He said, do you remember a truck filled with GIs following that tank? He said, I do. To which Grandpa Beaver said, I was driving that truck. This man, he fell into his arms and began to weep and just say over and over the same words, my liberator, my liberator. A liberator began to weep. The local story picked up the picked up the the roadside meeting between this former concentration camp prisoner and this army GI who had helped free him, and they wrote it wrote it up, and it was just a beautiful story of liberation. A story that moves me every time that I share it, and it is often impactful to those who hear it, which is exactly. What Yahweh desired to take place in the lives of his people every year as they look back on their liberation from Egypt. 
Now, if you're here with us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, we have been working our way through Exodus, and we are finally at the 10th plague. And Yahweh is going to give instructions to his people because he never wants them to forget he is their divine liberator. And the message, the truth we're going to go back to today regularly is remembering God's past provision to always inspire trust to walk God's present path. His past provision, as I look back and see it, should motivate me to follow the present path that he has asked us to walk. Which is why when we look at the tenth plague of Egypt, there's actually, in Exodus chapter 12, only two verses that speak of the death of the firstborn. But there are 40 verses twelve that speak of this meal, this meal of remembrance called the Passover. Where year after year, generations of families would gather and they would look back at Yahweh's provision and his protection in the lives of, for some, for them, for others, in the lives of, of their forefathers. And it was to inspire the new generation to walk the path that Yahweh has called them to walk. And we can do it because we can look back and see who he is. In just a moment, we're going to read the first 14 verses of Exodus chapter number 12. And essentially what we're going to look at is Yahweh is going to give Moses instructions. He's going to tell the people, choose one lamb per household. The lamb is to be spotless. It's to be examined for four days. Then gather the family and together in front of them all, kill it. And collect its blood in a basin and take some hyssop and paint the doorposts of your home and then roast the lamb, eat the lamb with unleavened bread. And, and, and while you eat, make sure your shoes are on, your belt is fastened, meaning the long robes that they would have, they would gather their robes up and fasten them with their belt so that they could move quickly and easily. And he said, have your staffs or your walking sticks ready. You're going to be leaving in a hurry. And at midnight, as we'll see midnight, Yahweh will pass through the land of Egypt, and he's going to require the firstborn, the bakor, as we saw a few weeks ago. He's going to require the bakor of every home. But this is different. He's going to include Israel in this plague. Israel had been free from the plagues of Yahweh in the past. It had only affected Pharaoh and Egypt, but this is different. Yahweh is going to execute justice across the land for everyone in the land, but he's also going to make a way of escape or salvation for everyone in the land. He will tell them in any home where the blood of a slain, spotless lamb has been applied to the doorposts, I will pass over and protect you. That is what he wanted his people to remember for generations to come, and then the events follow. Look at Exodus chapter 12, verse number 1. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. Let me pause right here. The beginning of months. They are the firstborn. This is their birthday. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. 
And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you, you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn, all the Bacor in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And then notice this. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I From the beginning, we've seen that these plagues, God was showing who he is. I am Yahweh. Pharaoh, this is who I am. Finally, if you remember, at plague seven, Pharaoh saw it and he rejected. So God says these final plagues are to show my people who I am. Look at who I am. And one of the things God wants his people to see about him is that I am greater than any of the gods in Egypt. See, Yahweh is going to bring justice to the gods of Egypt for their evil works, and he will remove any of the Bacor in homes who follow the gods of Egypt. I don't know that if we really fully grasp this, and I know I don't fully grasp this, but this plague is all about allegiance to Yahweh. See, everyone in Egypt is declaring, who are you going to follow? Ezekiel 20, which comes much later, is going to look back on this and is going to say that even the children of Israel worship the gods of Egypt. So Yahweh is coming and he's saying, I don't care if you're from Israel, I don't care if you're from Egypt. It's time for you to choose who are you going to follow? And if you're going to follow the other gods, I will take the Bacor from you because I do not want it to continue. I'll show you who I am. I am Yahweh. And the way to express allegiance was to, was to choose, to inspect, to kill, and then to apply the blood of a spotless lamb to the doorpost. You look at verse 13. Says this blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. This is the Passover. Keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So Moses delivers Yahweh's words to the people, and they get to work. But Moses emphasizes every year this is to be done. Look at verse 24, if you would. Skip to verse 24. 
This is now Moses speaking to the people. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that Yahweh will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Meaning when your kids are like, Dad, why are we doing this? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of Yahweh's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads in worship. Then the people of Israel went and did so as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And now notice the next two verses are the only two verses in the chapter that speak of the death of the firstborn. At midnight, Yahweh struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It would take a year's worth of Sundays to rightly explain how the Passover lamb and the shedding and applying of the blood of the Passover lamb parallels Jesus as the lamb of God and the shedding and the applying of his blood that is needed to our lives. That would take a year's worth of Sundays. So I'm not going to try to condense this into some real quick thing. Instead, what I want to turn our focus and attention to today is simply the, the Passover meal itself. The Passover meal that Yahweh instituted and that the Jews were to remember year after year. But we're going to look at the Passover a little bit differently because the Jews were handed the Passover and they were supposed to look back at what Yahweh did in Egypt. We get to read the scriptures and we see the New Testament as Jesus comes and as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 Christ is our Passover lamb So we're not going to look at the Passover lamb and look back to Egypt We're going to look at our Passover lamb and we're going to look back to Jesus Who does more than provide freedom from physical harm and slavery but from spiritual sin and slavery we're going to look at it three different ways preparation which will be short and then i'm going to ask you to take some time and we'll, we'll sing one song then we're going to come back and and do representation like what do these things in the passover mean and then we're going to pause and we're going to sing two songs and then i'm going to come back and bring some application to it so again three parts preparation representation and application preparation first there were two important steps that were taken before the family would sit down to eat the Passover meal. I'm not going to look back there, but if you were to read Exodus 12, 15, you would see that the house had to be cleaned or cleansed from leaven before the unleavened bread would be made. Leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. It was used in bread to cause it to rise. And, and Yahweh said, don't put leaven in that bread. It needs to be unleavened. We don't have time to let it rise. It's going to be flat because you're going to be in a hurry and this preparation is interesting the next time you do spring cleaning just know that that term spring cleaning came from the passover as they would cleanse their homes from leaven every spring in order to create unleavened make their unleavened bread but secondly in preparation a spotless lamb had to be selected on the 10th day of the month and examined before it was be killed four days later Two really important pieces of preparation. 
Now, how do we see Jesus as we look at Jesus as our Passover lamb in preparation? This is so cool. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the last week of his life. Think of it. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey to the cries of Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in this moment, Jesus is being presented to the Jews, finally, as the lamb, as the Messiah, as the chosen one, as the anointed. And you know the first thing that he does? After riding into Jerusalem, goes directly to the temple, takes out the money changers. It's time for spring cleaning. He was cleansing his father's house. And in that same week, Matthew 21 and Matthew 22 tells us that Jesus, the lamb, was examined over and over by the, by the chief priests saying, by what authority do you do these things? By the, by the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? By the Sadducees saying, if a woman's married seven husbands, who is her husband in the resurrection? He is questioned over and over and over and is examined. And finally, at the end of Matthew 22, we read this. No one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. The examination of the lamb was complete. They were ready to kill him. When Paul instructs the church in the book of 1 Corinthians about how to sit at our Passover meal, Remembering the death of our Passover lamb, he calls every believer to a time of cleansing and examination of our own hearts. He'll say this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So we're going to pause. And Miss Carolyn, I'm going to ask if you would mind playing just a little bit on the piano. We're going to examine our hearts. And I would love for you to ask this question. Lord, show me what needs to be cleansed. So we looked at the preparation, and the preparation that went into that was just simply making sure that the spotless lamb was chosen and that the house was cleansed of the unleavened bread. Once the lamb had been examined, the father would gather the entire household together, and the entire household would participate in the killing of the sacrificial lamb because that lamb represented each of them. It would then be roasted and served on a plate together to the family, and Here's what I found so interesting is representations on this Passover meal. There were greens on this plate that they would eat. Typically, it was parsley. And the green would represent life or springtime when the Passover took place. But it would also represent the new life that was coming. There would be a, a bowl of salt water that they would dip the parsley in to remind them that their life came out of the water of the sea. The Red Sea that the Lord had parted. There would also be bitter herbs there, they say, as 
fresh horseradish and they would put some horseradish on the unleavened bread that like you have in front of you that is unleavened bread they would put horseradish on that and each of the family would take a bite of that bitter horseradish and it would immediately bring tears to their eyes and those tears were representative of the tears that the generations before had suffered in their slavery in Egypt and then there was on the plate this little paste of of apples and cinnamon that they would take and they would spread that paste between two pieces of unleavened bread and it was to represent the mortar that went between the bricks that they were enslaved to build and to create for Pharaoh's temples. And they would eat that apple paste and it would bring a sweetness to their mouth and you would think, why a sweetness? And it was because God in the midst of trial and difficulty always has a plan for sweetness. Let's hold on to that. The Passover and how it represents Jesus so many parallels. You see what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, but the Apostle John is the one who is going to spend much of his writing to show that Jesus was the true Lamb of God. 29 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. But in his gospel, in his gospel, John displays Jesus as the spotless, substitutionary Lamb of God. And he does it through three voices. A Jewish prophet named John the Baptist who pointed at Jesus and said, Behold, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. He's also going to use the words of the Jewish high priest. His name was Caiaphas in John 11 after Jesus had resurrected Lazarus from the dead and the people began to flock to Jesus Caiaphas gathered the religious leaders and said, It is better that one man were to die for the country than all of us to lose our life, the substitute. And then John would actually use the words of a Gentile, Gentile leader named Pilate, stood next to Jesus and declared, I find. John is going to make sure that the world knows that Jesus is the spotless, substitutionary Lamb of God. So many other similarities. I won't, I won't go through the, through the scriptures, but I want you to see them. That the Passover Lamb was a substitute as Jesus was. The Passover Lamb was perfect and unblemished as Peter will say that Jesus was. The Passover Lamb was slain as Revelation will talk about the lamb who was slain, sacrificed by all the people. When they asked whether Jesus should be released, what did the people say? No, put his blood on us and on our children. He would, the lamb was sacrificed publicly in the eyes of the family. Jesus was slain on the cross in the sight of the entire city of Jerusalem. The lamb was roasted with fire. Jesus felt the fires of God's wrath for the sin of the world, as he said. I the lamb, Passover lambs, were, bones were not broken. Jesus' bones were not broken, for he was dead when they came to break his bones. And the Passover lamb's blood must be applied. 
Jesus's blood must be applied to our lives There will be many people one day Some sadly might be in this room today that one day upon standing before Christ you will say Lord Lord and he will say I never knew you Because we knew he died But we never applied the blood to our lives Before the meal was started this is so interesting the Passover meal the father would take a bag That held three pieces of unleavened bread and he would remove the middle piece and would break it in front of everyone. He would take the broken piece and he would wrap it in a white cloth and it would be placed underneath of the table while the meal, while the rest of the meal went on. And that, that broken piece was to represent the, was to anticipate the coming Messiah that would bring restoration to the Jews. At the close of the meal, he would reach under the table, he would unwrap the broken bread and would then break it and give it to everyone as the close of the meal. Symbolism there is incredible. Three pieces of bread, each spotless because they're unleavened. Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That middle piece of bread being pulled out of fellowship with the Father and Son to be broken, to be wrapped in grave clothes, to be buried, but to be brought out and resurrected again, unwrapped and offered to everyone as a bread. You imagine this scene at the Last Supper. As Jesus picks up that final piece of bread because they had eaten the Passover together. And now Jesus reaches to remove that piece and he unwraps it and he begins to break it and hand it to his disciples. And this is where he would say, and the Apostle Paul would remind us, Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He had given thanks, he broke it and said, this this wrapped up piece that has, if you notice on your piece of bread, has stripes representing the Roman whips, that has piercings representing the nails that went through his hands and his feet, and he takes it and he hands it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Would you just simply take a moment you look at the bread in your hand, would you give thanks? Spotless, substitutionary lamb. It was perfect. It was rich. And he lives again. Father, we take this piece remembrance of your son. There's no greater display of love than for you to send your son for Jesus, for you to willingly come and in your perfect perfection. You had every right to point at us in our spot, in our sin, and say, I am spotless, but that's not what you did. 
You played the role of the Passover lamb so we could be passed over. Spared the true wrath of God for following our gods. Jesus, with a heart of thankfulness, remember you. Passover, there were also four cups. Four cups, or sometimes they would use one cup and they would just drink from it four times. Each of those would be a representation. The first time would be at the beginning of the blessing. The second time they would remember the plague, and sometimes that would include dipping their finger into the into the cup ten times, remembering the ten plagues. The third cup, though, was the cup of redemption. That was the cup that was drunk after supper. It was the cup that represented the blood of the Passover lamb. How interesting that Jesus, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, lifted the cup after supper, which tells us it was the third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup that represented the blood of the Passover lamb. He took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He raised up the third cup of the Passover lamb and said, this is my blood. I am the So interesting, the fourth cup, the cup of praise. Remember when Jesus says in Luke, I will not drink of this cup until the kingdom? always confused me i didn't really fully understand that what jesus was saying is the cup of praise we're going to save that because i did not come to simply release you from your slavery i came to bring you to a place of promise you won't get there until you come to me in my kingdom but would you Raise that cup of redemption, cup of the Passover lamb. Do with a grateful heart. Say thank you for shed blood. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Praise you for what you have done in laying down your life. Offer your blood the only way. Find the place of promise at our right hand of the Father. Have a word. You drink the cup. We're going to sing two songs of praise. Two songs that remind us of who Jesus is. May I just caution you? I do have to come back and bring an application. So I know that you're ready. My heart is excited. I'll come back after we sing uh, these two songs. Sing about the blood. And the sermon's, sermon is pretty much done, and the, uh, I'm singing. What, man, it's beautiful.
So I want to bring some application now uh, to the Passover. Most holidays in America have become nothing more than just a time to get together and to, uh, to have a party. Most holidays have lost their meaning. Yahweh instructed Israel to remember the Passover year after year, but at some point they went through the motions and forgot the purpose of how Yahweh had cared for them and what that was to mean for them to lead their lives. We have to come back to the truth. Remembering God's past provision inspires trust to walk God's present path. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was more than just remember my death. It was, as Aaron just said, it's remember my death and live that way. Our reflection on his sacrificial obedience is meant to lead us to our own sacrificial obedience. And so if I could just say these words to you. Remember Jesus. Our children, hey parents, our children need to hear what their Redeemer has done for them, and they need to hear how, how their Redeemer desires them to live. And they need to hear it from the people that matter the most. See, when we don't make the time to purposely remember and celebrate Jesus, other activities, not bad activities, but other activities just fill those voids of our lives. Make purposeful time to remember Jesus with your family. Identify with Jesus. The blood had to be applied to the doorpost for, the, for, the, for Yahweh to pass over. Today, when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he wasn't saying, take, my, take it into you. He's saying, identify with my death by living your own. In the areas of our lives where we are not willing to die, the risen Christ is not able to live. So where has Jesus called you to die to self? Obey Jesus. Yahweh's instructions had to be followed. They could not offer an unhealthy lamb, even if they did everything else right. Jesus was the spotless lamb. He gave everything that he had, and that's exactly what he calls us to to do obedience is not offering jesus some of our life obedience is giving everything to him trust jesus the passover was meant to remind yahweh's people of his past protection and provision so they would trust him in the future with the unknown and the faithful work of jesus in your past is meant to become the foundation for trusting him to work today and then finally follow jesus Yahweh saved them in order for them to follow him. The release from bondage was only the first step. The promised land was the ultimate destination. And our release from the slavery of sin by Jesus is not the finished work. He leads us then into the ultimate destination, the presence of the Father. And as we follow Jesus... He continues to reveal himself to us more and more to show us that he is worthy to be followed the next time. I remember driving through Luray the first time and saying to my wife, this is not for us. But then we stood there on a Sunday morning and wept 
left during the first song or the first worship set we ever joined in with Mount Carmel. And the Lord so clearly said, this is where I want you. Through those years, we've experienced some mountaintop highs and some <laughs> really valley lows. But we have always been able to look back on God's clear hand of protection and peace. In, in the lives of our family, the gospel has taken root like nothing we could have ever understood or ever could have imagined. Yet we also suffered the, the loss of Jamie's dad six months after we came home. We've watched all three of our kids graduate from high school, and we've watched how COVID has brought sickness and death broken relationships to everyone. We've seen Troy and Trevor meet the love of their lives, and we've also experienced the mixed emotions and having to say goodbye to Pastor Micah, and to watch him joy prepare for what God has for him in Poland. I hope that you feel God has been faithful to us back across the pond. That's what we need. Trust him. cannot forget to remember who he is and what he has done. It is remembering God's past provision that inspires trust as we walk God's present path. Which means when he says, trust me. When he says, obey me. We do. And when he says, follow me. over the past few months our family has become very aware that Jesus has been with us follow last December I flew back to Chicago to bring my parents to DC for Troy's wedding during the close time we spent together that week I saw the many needs in their lives that were not evident on FaceTime or phone calls when they left, my heart was heavy with how my 93-year-old dad and my mother, who I would never divulge how old she is to anybody, uh, my mother would get along on their own. I'm aware of the scriptures. Timothy says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parent, and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And Paul says in Ephesians, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I was concerned about my mom and dad, and yet at the same time here at Mount Carmel, the Lord had brought such a restful peace to what you know has been a chaotic season. It's valleys but finally, everything in our work and ministry was beginning to settle into a place of acceptance and peace. I visited Grace College with Trinity in February, and she was convinced it was where God wanted her. And I was like, I think Liberty's a lot closer. Uh, uh, that really sounds like God's will. During a tour of the Grace campus, our guide mentioned the chapels took place here in the gymnasium. And someone asked, oh, like, does your, does your college have a campus pastor? And Boy, as soon as that question was asked, boy, that really pricked my heart. Like, I love students. I love pastoring. It'd be cool. I never did anything with it. 
In March, I was in Mount, up at Mount Zion praying where I love to pray and continued to prayerfully approach the Lord about how to care for my parents from 12 hours away. Challenged my heart by saying, you've done nothing what I've already laid on your heart. And so feeling as if I needed to take a step of faith, I emailed the president of Grace College to tell him of the visit with Trinity and like of, of what you know the Lord did in that moment in the gym. And I asked, do you have a campus pastor? A few days later, he responded by email and he informed me they have a chaplain and they're not excited. They're not looking to expand the chaplain's office. And like, I thought that was so confusing because I felt like the Lord was very clearly laid that on my heart. Quite confusing. But in the email, the president mentioned there are other employment opportunities on the website. So I went and looked at the website and came across a church who was seeking a pastor about 90 minutes from my parents. Sent them my information and we set up a phone call. In that first conversation, I learned they're a seven-year-old church plant that has already been through three pastors, the last having to be fired. They shared their brokenness and their need shared their willingness and at some point in the conversation simply said we're just a team ready to play and we're looking for a coach we talked two more times in may i took three days for three consecutive weeks to fast and pray seriously and each week of my fast the lord used a conversation or an interaction to confirm that i was taking the right steps and i was following him at the moment we agreed to visit the church and meet with the leadership. And coming home from the visit, our family spoke about how we certainly did not feel an overwhelming call as we had experienced in our first visit to Mount Carmel. But we all agreed the Lord had not said no and had not closed the door. We continued to pray after we had arrived home, and I, I have had hard conversations with Jamie, Trevor, Timothy, and Troy. We each found many reasons to stay in Luray. But each reason was centered on our own comforts and our own self-interest and just being home. But every item of self-interest was greeted by the reminder that our calling is to lose our life in following our King. So about 10 days ago, I placed a call to the church to agree to be considered for the pastorate by their leadership. I got off the phone with the church leadership and I sat down to my devotions with so many mixed emotions, asking myself, what did I just do? Did I make the worst decision of my life? Am I really thinking of moving our family from the people we have grown to love these past seven years? And I sat down at the kitchen table and opened up my Bible to the very next chapter that I was just in my normal Bible reading, which was Isaiah 43. I didn't choose to read Isaiah 43. The Lord had it waiting there for me. And here's what I read moments after saying yes. But now, this is what Yahweh says, one who created you, one who formed you, not two. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. Come on. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Those words. For I am. 
much to me these last few months as we've studied who Yahweh is. I am Yahweh, your God. He said in verse 1, you are mine. Now he's saying, I am yours. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior, since you are precious and honored in my sight, because I love you. Tell Jesus speaking here. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life, not be afraid for I am with you I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west Lord I think like the fact that you are going to take care of my kids is and I just felt reading those words after saying yes was a gift of confirmation Jesus said follow been preparing you for this. I've been preparing Mount Carmel for this. I was there. Because of this, I am officially tendering my resignation as pastor of Mount Carmel. And at some point in the next six to eight weeks, I will be moving back to Indiana. It will be about 90 minutes from my parents. About 30 minutes from Trinity at college. About 45 minutes from one of my brothers and about an hour from Jamie's brother and sister. My heart grieves to think of losing you. But my heart grieves even more to thinking of turning my back. Please want you to know I am not leaving you. I am following you. One last thing. I realize this is unexpected news. Not taking the Lord by surprise. Nothing ever. Just as he has been preparing me for something new, preparing you for something new. Because we've seen it before, right? Remembering God's past for you. Fires trust. close with a time of prayer. Can we go back to those verses in Isaiah 43? We close. I'm going to ask a couple brothers on our leadership team to come up and prayer this morning. I just want to remind you of those promises that God has used Pastor Brian's life in these words. How those promises apply to us. And actually you in this uh, passage not singular, it's uh, plural. Look what he says. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, he formed you, church. Not for you. For I have redeemed you. Redeemed you. By name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, Mount Carmel, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. 
flames will not set you ablaze. Remember what Pastor Brian shared about part of that Passover meal was that apple paste that was put, put between those layers of bread representing the mortar and the bricks in Egypt. And God's people in this passage, they were about to, to go through a trying time. But God says, he says he's our God, and we're not to fear because of him. So we're going give, to give you an opportunity, Pastor Brian and, and Jamie, Trinity and, and Troy and Laney. Is Laney still here? We're going to be up front, give you an opportunity when the service closes to come up and say whatever you would like to say to them. And if, if you just, we're processing this. Um, and if you just need more time before you say anything to them or you want to just talk to them later, um, that is fine. But they'll be up front and feel free to come up and say whatever you, you would like to say at this time. But I'd like to ask Bart and Patton and Aaron Week if they come up. Both of these men are going to lead us in a time of prayer. Um, I've asked Bart um, he'll just lead us in, in praying for the Hassey family. Um, this is not easy for them. Uh, this has become their home. Um, you know, I, th I think especially for Trinity, um, and she has expressed this going off to school, um, and just the timing of this in her life, um, very difficult. Um, but let's just pray God for God's grace on this precious family as they walk through this. And then Aaron's going to close us uh, just praying for us as a church family too. We walk through this. So let's pray together. Pray, I'll ask one thing. Pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, church, there is probably a whole range of emotions, certainly shock, see tears, dead tears, Lord, there's um, no doubt, uncertainty and uneasiness, all sorts of questions that come to our minds, but God, you, through interaction after interaction with your followers, your chosen people, and even the nation of Israel, you have said, trust the story. Trust the story that I have written for you. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. And so, Lord, I just pray that as a church right now, that that would just be where our hearts get to, that we're just going to trust in the story. We might not agree with the chapters. We might not agree with this particular portion of the story, but it's your story for your glory. So, Lord, just help us to trust in that. Lord, we just got done remembering the body of Christ and stand here before the body of Christ. And so help us, Lord, to be that body. You think about the days of creation, and Pastor Brian talked about this early on in his, his sermon on Exodus. You created a space, and then you filled it. And Lord, right now you're creating a space. Help us to trust and know that you're going to fill it with something good, something holy. And Lord, not talking about a pastor, and no doubt in my mind, you have already been preparing people in this very room to fill this space, to step into the void, to encourage our own brothers and sisters to play important roles as the body of Christ. Lord, no doubt, maybe right now your Holy Spirit is speaking to someone right now, and you are pushing them and nudging them to, to get involved. We're going to need you. Lord, protect our unity. Bring us together as your people. Lord, we are just going to trust Know it out in the days to come and maybe even the years to come. Lord, help us to not grow weary. Help us to realize that we just sang it. We follow Jesus. We don't follow a pastor. We follow Jesus. And Lord, more than anything, I pray that this will be a time where your people will be on mission like never before in this community because people need to see what you have done. Lord, we love you. We surrender to you as this family has surrendered to you and to your will. God, we ask that you go before them. We ask that you go before us. And we ask that you would just help us in our times of doubt. I ask all these things in your name. So much, Aaron.